Propaniacs. Welcome to Propaniacs, a podcast where we dig around in the yard that is King of the Hill in search of priceless artifacts. Today we brush the dirt off of the season two episode, Arrowhead. I'm Milton McManerberry, and I'm joined as always by Daisy Durndall. All right. Well, this episode starts off with a neighborhood flyover and then zooms into Hank's backyard. Notice it flies over to the Gribbles house. And my question is, who is mowing Dale's lawn? It is not Dale. It is not Joseph. And it is not Nancy. And I question whether the Gribbles can afford a yard man. I mean, Dale only charges, is it four bucks? Or two fifty for his uh, yard treatments in King of the Ant Hill. Anyway, I question these things. But what's really going on in this scene is that Hank has bought a new tiller. The stage is set for the theme of the episode because this scene is showing the sorts of things about which Hank and the guys are knowledgeable. And a good example would be things like John Deere tillers. These are practical things. These are kind of traditional masculine things, tools, things like that. And that's going to be in contrast to a character later on who has a different knowledge base. From there, we move into the living room because Hank is looking for Bobby because he wants him to join the fun showing off this new tiller. But Bobby and Peggy are busy watching PBS and they are watching Britcoms. Do you and Daisy's husband watch Britcom? Not that much. I mean, sometimes, but... Eh. It has been a tradition for Melton's wife and me, I guess as we were dating. Saturday night Britcoms are a thing that we do. And I thought it might be interesting, because I think the episode is inviting this, to pair and contrast British comedy versus King of the Hill comedy. And I happen to be a fan of both very much. And Peggy calls... To Bobby, she she says it's sophisticated. It's very sophisticated, Bobby. That's why you don't understand it. I do not think that that's correct. I think she misses the mark with that comment. Because Brit comms are really often very lowbrow. I feel like it's like Shakespeare comedies. You go and see a Shakespeare comedy actual production, you expect it to be some sophisticated thing. And really, it's just kind of sex jokes. I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not sophisticated comedy. It just sounds sophisticated in a British accent. I like when Peggy says that PBS is supported by viewers like her, specifically. Yes, of course she is a PBS donor. That tracks perfectly somehow. Actually, I don't think she is. I don't think she's a donor. I think she's just a viewer. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. She doesn't get the support of viewers like you think. Right. That tracks even better. Well, last thing I thought, thinking British versus King of the Hill, I do think... There is a similarity here because both of them, the comedy is a little more subtle than the average American sitcom, at least in the 90s, I think is fair to say. And the humor is a little bit drier. Mm -hmm. And it's something that Bobby kind of gets a little bit. and He kind of laughs at the episode a little bit. And Peggy really doesn't. Peggy really doesn't understand what's going on. I don't think Peggy would get King of the Hill either. If she were actually watching an episode of King of the Hill, I don't think she would find it funny. I don't know that Peggy gets a whole lot of anything. She does a lot of faking it, I feel like. Yeah. I'm not sure what Peggy would find funny. Well, when Hank walks into the living room and kind of joins this little party that Peggy and Bobby are having, the thing that I feel like is the central conflict of the episode, the more I've thought about these, Daisy, I think often you can boil a King of the Hill episode down to Hank versus something. And this one, I think, is Hank versus higher education. Specifically, I'm putting in quotes, Bobby's liberal education. So Bobby has learned not to call the indigenous peoples of the Americas Indians, That seems like a pretty good thing not to call them because they're not Indian. Right. They're not in any way from India. And rather to call them Native Americans. And he equates that to calling. He's cut off. We're not sure what he was going to say, but he's like, that's like saying same-sex partners instead of... But Hank reacts predictably to that and shouts Bobby down. But I think what we're seeing is Bobby's, even his middle school education is kind of liberal in Hank's eyes, teaching his son all these new terms for things. And there's a lot of unknown, scary stuff being pushed into Hank's world, even through Bobby's education. 
Well, in the garage, Hank has found, with his tiller, I guess he found an arrowhead. He also found, now he doesn't know what it is yet, but this other little tool thing that like has Native American origin. And so he's talking about that, and he's questioning what this little tool is. And in his words, I don't know much about Indians, but I do know tools. So it's a good example of his area of expertise. Hank does not is not going to know much about history or especially the history of the native peoples of his area, but he does have, or at least he thinks he has, a very practical set of knowledge in his head and especially masculine type things. So his mind kind of goes to tools and he, he sees something that kind of looks like a tool. It's a tool. Uh, he's right. It actually ends up being a tool. But... I think the point here is that Hank is not highly educated. I think he has a high school diploma, and that's it. Where his education fails him, rather than just saying he doesn't know or I'll, I'll go find out, he just speculates. I think that is common. I'm guilty of this myself. I have to admit it's kind of fun to speculate sometimes on things I don't know. But that's kind of his go-to is to speculate, kind of using something that he is familiar with, propane or tools or something like that. It's just ignorance, really. But that, that's what it shows up as with Hank. Yeah, there's also an amount of pride there, too. Like, mm-hmm. he has all the answers. He doesn't want to show any weakness or lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the next scene he actually does, and I don't know what changes his mind there, but he actually decides to do some research on this. And he avails himself of the Native American who happens to be next door <laughs> because he lives next door to Nancy Gribble, where John Redcorn typically spends his days. And there's some delicious awkwardness in this exchange because Hank goes up to the Gribble's door and knocks on it. Nancy answers it. She has covered herself with a towel. She was clearly nude. And Hank is wanting to talk to John Redcorn. He knows it's there, but absolutely doesn't want to go anywhere near the subject of Nancy and John's relationship and rendezvous. And all I can say is it's just wonderfully awkward. The pace is slow. And there's a lot of uh, nice animation in their body language and eyes and, and just facial expressions that convey the awkwardness between the two of them. That I really appreciated that about this episode. I like how Nancy even calls him John Redcorn. Everyone calls him John Redcorn <laughs> yes. at all times. Yes, he's not John, but John Redcorn. And yeah, just that awkward silence. Very awkward. And Hank shows quite a bit of disrespect for John Redcorn's culture here. Not John's culture, John Redcorn's culture. But what John Redcorn is saying is the tool that Hank has in his hand is sacred to his people. It's a shaft straightener for an arrow. He's right, it actually is a tool. It's not the kind of tool Hank thought it was for. Hank thought it was for bludgeoning. Digging out a man's brainstem. It, it had to be something violent. Right. Of course, because right. but that's, it's just weird because Hank, I don't think he owns any tools used for violence. And yet here he believes this Native American artifact is indeed for violence. And to John Redcorn's point, pretty much any tool can be used for violence if you really want it to be. But it sounded a lot like Order of the Straight Arrow. It definitely reminded me of that when John Redcorn was explaining the spirit of Wimatanye. And it's usually as kind of an amusement, or in this case, Hank is actually using it for monetary gain. He's hoping to make some money off of this. And just a lot of disrespect there for John Redcorn's people. But in, in True King of the Hill fashion, John Redcorn is kind of grounded here because John Redcorn talks about the idea of possession and possessing something that one man loves, that it's wrong to take that from that man. And then, right. And then Nancy calls it back to the bedroom. <laughs> John Redcorn. Yep. So Hank's next stop is Arlen University because he's going to try to sell this arrow shaft straightener, I guess the arrowhead too. I thought it was Arlen Community College. Maybe it's, we'll have to look for that. I feel Maybe. like that, that's where Luann enrolls later. Maybe there's both. Yeah. Okay. Could be there's two. Arlen Community College is a feeder school to Arlen University. Right. That's great. I hope so. Or Arlen University shuts down later. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And it was absorbed by the community college. That would be awesome. So Hank is walking through kind of the quad of Arlen Community College. And I like some things he sees because to me, this is just what Hank would think 
college is. It kind of goes back to something you said a while back. Whose point of view is this show coming from? Coming from? Yeah, like this feels a little bit like Hank's eyes, like how he might retell this because what he's seeing is a, well, I'm going to say it was a blood drive and it was a keg party. And to me that maybe that would sum up college experience to someone like Hank. That would be kind of left-leaning social conscience. Listeners, I give blood. If that sounded weird, but that's how Hank would see it. And just like hedonistic partying. And I will say college campuses do have a lot of blood drives, like a lot. Mm. So anyway, Hank is given a petition. Someone asked him to sign for legalizing hemp and he asked what hemp is. <laughs> and the student kind of went into how it's a cheap, renewable material to make rope and other things. And Hank doesn't realize what it actually is until after he's signed it. <laughs> and then the student's like, yeah, it's marijuana. <laughs> That's about all Hank needs of a college experience. That's it. I'm done here. Let me yeah. just go to professional learners classroom. So this is when we meet the nemesis of the episode. His name is Professor Lerner. That is heavy handed. I think I'm a little disappointed in his name, Professor Lerner. And he represents higher education in this episode, clearly. And his relationship or his conflict with Hank and his relationship or it's not quite a conflict, whatever it is with Peggy is really what drives the rest of the episode. And he's a stand in for this kind of liberal higher education. But the name Lerner was a little much for me. So he's finishing up his lecture and the students all applaud at the end. I can't remember that ever happening. No. <laughs> Actually, no, I can when I taught college. Really? You got a round of applause? One time. This wasn't actually my class. It was another class that I was uh, presenting something in. Okay. That's why I got the applause. I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, Professor Lerner is like super clever and everything. And he's got these kids eating out of the palm of his hand. It's really kind of unbelievable. But at any rate, he does end up taking these artifacts from Hank and gives him like 10 bucks for it or something like that. But the eerie music starts and it's clear to us after Hank walks out that Professor Lerner has other things in mind. That actually he is really interested in these artifacts. He really downplayed their importance. And the game game is afoot. <laughs> so a couple of scenes later, he shows up with, uh, I don't know, some other guy, I'm not sure who he is, but they show up at the Hill's house and they meet none other than Peggy Hill in the driveway. I could not have met someone more perfect for them, less perfect for Hank's lawn, <laughs> but they completely, completely take advantage of Peggy's naivety and flatter her a little bit. And the next thing you know, she's signing away rights to her own yard to these guys. And this is a little bit of what happens maybe when, or at least this is what the show is, I think, saying when people of real education and intelligence meet someone of the naive vanity of a Peggy Hill. Because Peggy, who thinks a lot of herself, doesn't take much of a compliment from, you know, someone with a PhD to really feel like she's in the club. And at that point, it's hook, line, and sinker. They've got the rights to the yard. Right. And she's going on about how she's also an educator and she substitute teaches Spanish. Mm -hmm. And... In her mind, that makes them equals, and the professor just flatters her because that's how he's going to get his way, is by flattering her, and he knows it. Yeah, but she was an easy mark. Yeah. This is her version of that same conflict, I think. Hanks is fairly straightforward. He's just he's just very threatened by higher education. Peggy is threatened by it but doesn't know it or something. It's a, In this case, anyway, it's a real menace because it's something she aspires to but doesn't really understand, and it's a dangerous thing for her because of just this right here. She's just easily taken advantage of. I think that higher education is a threat for Peggy. 
I'm not sure she knows it, or it's yeah, it's an, she it's, doesn't know it, but uh, and maybe it's just because it's something she couldn't handle. Oh yeah, no, she definitely would flunk out of college. But can you imagine her how insufferable she would be for that first semester? Everything that she learned or thought she heard in every class, coming back and spouting it off at every dinner table over her mashed potatoes that are actually baked potatoes. <sighs> One little note: she signed that petition left-handed. She wrote right-handed in Peggy the Boggle Champ. She stirred left-handed in a West Side Story. Anyway, I think Peggy really is ambidextrous. Well, she's got that going for her. It doesn't brag about it. That's what's so weird. She probably doesn't even realize she's ambidextrous. She lacks so much self-awareness that it probably wouldn't surprise me if she had no idea that she was ambidextrous. What does she ever? She really does lack a lot of self-awareness. Her, uh, her statement, the way she says, I'm, a, I'm an educator too. Substitute Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like that. It's tough to watch. Unless you hate Peggy, in which case it's <laughs> probably a lot of fun to watch. Uh, well, anyway, Professor Lerner, now in his group, they have rights to the yard and they start digging and it wakes Hank and Peggy up that night. There's some nice bedhead here from Hank and Peggy, similar to what we saw in Texas City Twister. But their head is all disheveled. And Hank goes to the window, does his patented, Hank scream. And there's a nice touch there because he fogs the window up as he's looking out and watching these people digging up his yard. Yeah, he has to wipe it off and then it fogs back up again. I was trying to remember which grass it is they're digging up. And I think the last grass put in there was from King of the Ant Hill. And it was the grass donated by the people of the neighborhood. So it was various. It's wonderful lifestyle. Various grass. It was not. Not the Raleigh St. Augustine because Dale Gribble and Hank together uh, destroyed that yard via fire ants. Well, the guys are gathering up to discuss the matter in the backyard. And I was asking kind of last time or one of the previous time, what should we call these when Bill puts himself out there and gets torn down? Maybe poor Bill. Maybe call him poor Bill. I don't know. But this is definitely a poor Bill moment because Bill is the only one who's thinking about the Native Americans of the area and how it was taken from them and all that, which, you know, that's the irony of the episode. Hank's land around his house is being taken from him in the name of research about Native Americans. Um, And of course, the What's lost on him there is there is poetic justice there, perhaps. At least that's worth talking about. It's not something he's going to talk about. But poor Bill. Bill gets that, and he sheds a tear for the Native Americans of the area and the fact that their land had been stolen from them and so forth. And then he tosses down his beer can. It's like a reference to those commercials yes. from the 70s, 80s, the Native American chief crying because people are littering on his land. Totally. Not catch that irony. That is really beautiful irony. That's totally what it's referencing. All right, we're back in the kitchen. Hank and Peggy are discussing this matter. And, you know, they're not on the same page here because Hank can't stand Professor Lerner for what he's doing to his lawn. And Peggy admires him because he's of the educated class in academia. And that's precisely what Peggy idolizes. Hank calls him, just straight up calls him an idiot. He's discrediting Professor Lerner trying to, and really on a larger level, a higher level, he's just, he's attempting to discredit higher education as a whole. Peggy admires it, but there's even some suspicion there from her, which is kind of interesting because she calls Professor Lerner a genius and says, which is one step away from madness. So for, for her, well, like we said, she's threatened, I guess, by this idea of higher education. It's for her, this higher plateau, this nice thing, but it's an unknown. What's out there? What could happen if one actually stepped into this? And Peggy is so far, like, if all of this were a ladder and like madness was the tippy top of the ladder and genius was the top rung, she's kind of at the very bottom. There are many rungs in between her and genius. I am not sure that Peggy is on the same ladder. I'm not sure it's even leaning against the same wall. 
It might be a ladder on another continent. <laughs> right, or maybe planet. Yes. But the nature of this relationship is interesting to me. I think it's well done in this episode. They have invited Professor Lerner, I guess Peggy invited him to dinner. So they're sitting around at the dining room table, dining room alert. They're using the dining room, but it makes sense here because they have a guest. And we see this sometimes, but when Hank and Peggy are at odds, Bobby is often caught in the middle. He's definitely caught in the middle here. Peggy has coached him to say something polite to Professor Lerner, no matter what he says. And Hank just shakes his head. Shakes his head. No, Bobby. No, Bobby. And poor Bobby, he's just caught in the middle. He doesn't know what to do. I think he ends up just, I don't know what to do. I'm going to put my straw in my mouth and sip my milk. So when they leave, they're standing at the front door and they have this exchange. You know, Professor Lerner gives this wristband thing, bracelet thing to Peggy. And he's doing this very intentionally, of course. But he's suggesting to Peggy that he has romantic intentions by giving her this bracelet. And obviously she falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. Bobby says, a man wearing jewelry. That's funny. Like on PBS. <laughs> Back to his brick comp. They must have been watching Are You Being Served, I feel like. And uh, there was a, you know, a memorable uh, feminine character on that show for any of our listeners who've ever seen Are You Being Served. Oh, yeah. What was his name? Mr. Humphreys, Humphreys. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By John yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. He was my favorite. And that show, yeah, that's a really, really classic brick comp. A lot of interesting class things going on there, but that's another podcast for another time. But what I find interesting here is that Hank, he basically shoves Professor Lerner out of the house or kind of can't wait to see him go. And he slams the door on him. But if you look closely, he's, Professor Lerner is not the only one on the other side of the threshold. Peggy and Bobby are too. Hank actually shuts the door on the whole rest of his family. But there was something to that. The lines have kind of been drawn and they've kind of taken sides here. And Peggy has aligned herself in this conflict, at least in his eyes, with Professor Lerner and kind of taken Bobby with her with this whole comment celebrating, you know, a man wearing bracelet. And that's enough. This whole liberal thing, get it out of my house. And I don't care if it takes my wife and son with it. So Hank's anger and his level of feeling threatened by all this, I think, is at its height. Well, we're back in the bedroom in the evening, and Peggy is late getting to the bedroom because she sort of seems to spend an awful lot of time with this professor learner. And Hank says she's missed, you know, several segments of the news, action sports and action weather. She asks him what's going on, and he says, oh, another new soccer league. So we've got liberalism, European sports. There's this invasion into Hank's world, and he really seems powerless to stop it. And he really snaps when, in this scene, Peggy suggests that Professor Lerner has usurped Hank's role as Bobby's role model. Kind of harkens back to Hank's got the willies when Willie Nelson explained to Hank that Bobby does have a hero. His name is Hank Hall. So the thing is, I don't see a whole lot of interaction between Professor Lerner and Bobby. Mm. I think this might be all in Peggy's head. Or she's projecting and that kind of makes sense because Hank is just like really threatened in this episode. That's what I feel like. He's he's very jealous. It, we especially start to see that in the next scene. They're they're back in the backyard and Hank and I think it's Bill are standing around talking or whatever. And, and Hank is pretending not to be jealous, but clearly he is. And I want to ask that question: What is going on in Hank's head here that he's he's acting out of this jealousy? You know, the fact that he's jealous betrays that he feels threatened. What is threatened in this episode to Hank? Well, his lawn for one. Mm. And this guy seems to be moving in on his wife and possibly his son. Mm-hmm. I think, too, his, um, his status in the neighborhood because mm-hmm. he seems to be this guy's like higher education level or whatever is maybe a humiliating thing for Hank who's never really has that question and is having a question in his own neighborhood right now. And I think it's like kind of a metaphor for his manhood mm. because I mean the lawn we've talked about like how the lawn is like his status symbol. Yes. And therefore it's an extension of him as a man. And this guy comes along and like digs up his lawn 
and then is like giving his wife a bracelet. So all of these things are in Hank's subconscious, I guess, kind of emasculating him. Yeah, I think too, yeah. Not only is his long being dug up by this guy, but it was his wife who gave the guy permission. So even there, it's like Hank didn't even hold the strings. Like, right. Like he does not even, he's not even master of this right. yard. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Hank and his jealousy is now acting out and he's going to try to get his revenge on Professor Lerner. So he's in his garage and he's trying to rig up like a fake artifact. Uh, where did he get that book? Do you see he had this book that it kind of opened up to show it was like native peoples of Ireland or something like that. And like the, it only could come from a library. Did Hank visit the mm. Ireland University Library while he was at Ireland University? That's hard to imagine. I don't think so. It could be a book that Professor Lerner had or maybe Peggy bought. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, Hank wouldn't, I don't think Hank would seek out such a it's really, yeah, really hard to imagine. You must have found it. Yeah, maybe Peggy got it and had it sitting on the coffee table or something. That would make sense. So, going back just a second, did we miss the scene where Boomhauer's looking over the contract and <laughs> yes. says it's ironclad? Yeah, that's true. I don't and know Hank, which thing that was. Hank but. can't understand Boomhauer. <laughs> But it's all the legalese he's speaking. <laughs> That's right. He's speaking in legalese. Couldn't understand a word he said. So I thought that was funny. Yeah, that and was great. That was another illustration of how Hank isn't as bright as even his neighbors, like Boomhauer. Yes, totally. That was a great scene. There's a little bit of grounding back in this garage scene because uh, Bill suggests <laughs> Hank is basically saying, you know, he wants to humiliate Professor Lerner. Bill suggests that Hank commit murder. <laughs> Hank has to remind Bill that he's not a murderer, that he he's going to try to humiliate him, but let's not get too crazy. Something to kind of pull Hank back in a little bit because he is getting pretty insane in this episode. I'm kind of wondering now if maybe Bill is on the tippy top of that ladder and is a genius that has descended into madness. Ooh. I love that theory. Yes. We see so much of poor Bill that I'm wondering if maybe Bill is just on a different plane. It's poor everybody else. Remember how in the first season, how often Bill was that voice of reason? He was again in this episode. It happened again. Exactly. That's good. All right. We're keeping our eye on that one for sure. Okay. Well, Hank does plant this fake artifact in the hole in his yard that Professor Lerner and his group of college kids have been digging. And actually, I don't know if they're college kids. They're, he calls them archaeologists. Maybe they're professional archaeologists. They're whatever probably they're. just grad students. Yeah, grad students. That makes sense. So it's the next day. And so the whole thing is, it's a big hole. So Hank has planted this artifact in a part of the hole. Professor Lerner happens to be digging nowhere near it. And Hank needs him to dig near it so he'll find it, misidentify it as a genuine artifact, be humiliated, get out of his house, get out of his life, get away from his wife and kids. Give him his lawn back. Problem solved. Hmm. And there's a lot of imagery and language here that I don't think I'm stretching this. I think this is, it's deliberately invoking this. But Hank references a couple of stories that are in the Gospels in the Bible where Jesus suggests that his disciples alter their fishing strategy. Like go the other side of the boat, go into the other part of the lake, whatever, to catch more fish because the number of them were fishermen. And they end up hauling in a bunch of fish. I think Hank uses language like that here with Professor Lerner and suggests that, well, you spend an awful lot of time in this area. You should go dig in the other area. And the camera angle, if you will, there is Professor Lerner's point of view looking up at Hank from the holes. You're kind of looking up at him and the sun is directly behind him. It's the morning, so it's the eastern sky. Hank looks like he's floating in the eastern sky delivering this message that is similar to one that came out of the mouth of Jesus in the Bible. Anyway, I think that Hank sees himself as the savior in this moment, particularly Peggy's savior in this moment. But he's an anti-savior because it backfires big time. Who finds the artifact? It was Peggy and Hank's yelling, no, get away from there. And I don't know, I feel like another theme or piggybacking on the theme of this episode of Hank versus intellectualism Mm -hmm. is it's like Hank's going to lose every time. 
yeah. Yeah, he, he really tried to outsmart Professor Lerner there to try to use his, like, street smarts over the higher education. Yeah. It does not work at all. And it gets worse from there. Yep. Because the students, the archaeologists, whatever. Also, I like how they're wearing their little vests. Yes. <laughs> I like their clothes in this episode, yeah. They're able to figure out what the uh, necklace is and that it's faked. And they can, I mean, they've got it down, which is the kind of thing that you have to learn in that field is one of the first things you got to do is you got to be able to spot a fake because there's going to be people like Hank who think that they can get a lot of money for junk. Mm. So, you know, that was a nice little dressing down of Hank. Yeah, they, they were not fooled, not even close. He was not remotely the savior he thought he was. And actually, he ends up humiliating his wife. Really backfires. Yeah. But it kind of, I don't know, she kind of quickly forgives him when she realizes that what actually happened was he was trying to humiliate Professor Lerner and for her own sake. That's kind of weird. I'm not sure I understand quite Peggy's line of reasoning here, but I think Hank might have actually just, you know, acted like a jerk. But it works on Peggy. She completely melts. She has something in her eye, and she is also crying. That happens. And they make up. And the conflict between Peggy and Hank is resolved kind of that quick. She takes the bracelet off. It's over. Between her and Professor Lerner, whatever was going on. Doesn't the professor also kind of go on at Hank about, you know, he could have had his wife if he want, you know, if he wanted and he does he does see for me that's he really crosses the line there and that is why at the end i don't feel bad with hank's bullying of professor Lerner. well i think it's kind of sad that the professor actually had to spell it out for hank that's what was happening true true and i mean they're both in the wrong yeah just in different ways I think Hank actually is ultimately successful in making Professor Lerner look foolish one way or the other because this whole thing with like climbing out of the hole, push back in, climbing out of the hole, push back in. And Professor Lerner's, I like this. He's not reacting very well to it. And all he had to do was walk to a different part of the hole and climb out. I don't understand why he kept going to the same spot. So I guess, you know, it's like a tug of war. Mm. And ultimately, Hank's side wins. Yeah, I think Not even, handily, but ultimately. Actually, Bobby even gives him a little shove, too, for what that's worth. I think that puts Bobby back in you know, the camp of his parents anyway to resolve that conflict. Mm-hmm. I actually remember, I had an experience like this that I, I remember. It was a pool party. It must have been like a young kid's like after church thing or something, but... It was a pool party, and I, I do remember every time I tried to climb out of the pool, this other kid pushed me right back into the pool, and that just kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. And that made enough of a impression on me now that I still remember it. You didn't grab days. his ankles and suplex him over your head into the pool? No, that didn't cross my mind, but moreover, mm. what didn't cross my mind was the same thing that didn't cross professors' learn Was the things... How <laughs> can I say this? Yeah, it's hard. Sound it out was the same thing that didn't cross Professor Lerner's mind, which was just to go to a different part of the pool. What can I tell you? That's how the episode ends. All right. So all that said, I'm going to give this a seven goober smooches. I enjoy watching intellectuals get the better of people like Hank (laughs) because I've grown up around people like Hank and I have become an intellectual and it makes me happy. Well, I'm going to give it an eight. I enjoy that too, actually, but I also enjoy when Hank gets the better of jackasses, and he does that in this episode. That's true. This guy is a jackass. Well, we've dug up all the art that it's time to climb out of this hole we've created. Tune in next week as a propane maniac beat Junie Harper in Halloween.